Many societies and cultures believe that when your photograph is taken, a piece of your soul is, is stolen away and kept in the photograph. Mm. And I feel like this is the, the, the perfect representation of that in the witching world, where a photo of Coolio has been taken, it is now a poster on the wall, and that is part of Coolio's soul. If he's distributed parts of his soul in things like posters and billboards or... Um, on the sides of buses and stuff. Do you reckon, like, he's barely got any soul left when he's... I reckon so, by this stage. He must have been photographed and marketed, distributed so many times, yeah. That probably explains why Michael Owen is so wooden in Zero to Hero. Yeah! Hello and welcome to Sabrina the Teenage Watch, the podcast where three handsome, swashbuckling gentlemen review all 163 episodes of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Thank you for joining us thus far. Uh, we're up to episode 11. Before we start, let's do, a little, let's do some manners first. Let's introduce ourselves. As always, I'm your host, your guide, if you will. My name is Phil. Uh, as always, to my right uh, is Chris Evans. The Chris Evans, I'm going to call you this week. Uh, how are you doing, Chris? I'm all right. Thank you for acknowledging that I am the Chris Evans. The Chris Evans of yeah. the room. Uh, Graham Riley, Top to my left, room. how are you? Yeah. I'm uh, fine, thank you, Phil. Excellent. Um, so, boys, we're up to, as I say, episode 11, almost halfway through um, the first season. And we're at the end of 1996. Anything could change in the course of next week's episode. Do you have fond memories of 1996 before we close it? Uh, yes, uh, Damon Hill became Formula One world champion, so uh, six-year-old Graham was very, very happy indeed in 1996. Yeah, and in fact, round, round when this day aired, um, I, uh, me and my brother got our PlayStation 1 ah. as well, so it was very, ended very, very well. How about you, Christopher? Uh, we had just learnt that we were moving, uh, moving house, oh, so nice. uh, wonderful five-year-old Christopher was uh, getting ready to move house in 1997. Uh, it was um, the worst year of my life. Oh, that well, is what that 1997 is... was, or 1996 was. 1997, yeah. Oh. That's uh, I, we've had previous discussions where I can actually pinpoint where my life went wrong. So 1996 was your last year of happiness. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. Well, we'll try not to bring it up uh, during the course of uh, the rest of 1997 when this show airs. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that, Chris. Um, you put a bit of a bum note on things, but oh. we're gonna we're gonna go back up. Well, let me put you this way. Who else is going to do the bomb? Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> uh, so we're going to uh, crack on with episode 11, chaps, which is entitled A Girl and Her Cat. Uh, it's a Christmas episode, which um, I was not surprised to see. Obviously, every show has a Christmas episode, but uh, the Halloween special was like their festive time, was it? So, But it's still nice that, as always, you know, they go for a Christmas episode. So we've had a, a celebratory Halloween uh, episode and a Christmas one. Uh, yeah, guys... I hate Christmas, we know this, so... Yeah, but there's a moral in... in well, not moral, there's something the Zelda says in this episode, she says, even if you don't like the festive holidays, don't spoil it for everyone else. So don't spoil this episode for the rest of us, Chris, if you didn't like the Christmas cheer it was trying to get across. To get my che- Christmas cheer out, I need to be drunk. I'm okay. currently sober, so on you it be. Okay. Um... Graham, how do you feel about Christmas and Christmas episodes of things? Um, Christmas episodes of things are usually nice, to be honest. Christmas television, and I don't mean when I say Christmas television, I don't mean these specials with fucking Julie Walters or whatever, where like the script is absolutely terrible. And it's just oh, we've got a big cast, so yeah, on the BBC, that's shit. But like 
Christmas episodes of shows I already like usually are some of the very few things that actually get me into the Christmas mood. Hmm. And and before before we dive into this episode of Cossack, because we'll be summarising at the end, uh, but quickly, did this episode bring some Christmas cheer out of you, even though we are currently recording <laughs> this uh, in June? It's June, so no, no <laughs> we, could, yeah, we couldn't be much further away from Christmas at the moment, but... Um, it was a good episode. It was. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so yeah, episode 11, A Girl and Her Cat. A brief synopsis um, is that Salem ultimately leads uh, Sabrina to getting kicked out of the slicery and causing an argument between the two. Uh, he then, because of those events, gets a cat out, And it's up to Sabrina, Hilda and Zelda to track him down. And they both learn an important Christmas lesson. Kinda. Shall we crack on, chaps? Sure. Excellent. Okay, well, the episode opens up at the Spellman's. And it's Christmas... Well, we know that because it's snowing outside. Okay. Uh, cousin Monty is on the phone asking the family if he can stay with them for Christmas. And despite Hilda's obvious protests, Zelda invites him over. So we've got him being introduced to another member of the Spellman family. It's always fun to meet other witches because they're always quite, quite oh, kooky, yeah. quite odd. And it makes Hilda and Zelda seem sane, seem completely normal. Because these really outrageous characters that they bring in. Also, Hilda and Zelda don't like a single one of their relatives. <laughs> no, they don't, do they? That that resonates very much with me. <laughs> well, I think it resonates with them. But if you, if someone, another member of your family, you don't necessarily uh, interact with, comes and visits and stuff, there's a bit of tension between the family. Um, but it's weird that uh, I just find it funny how they're all witches. They're all naturally different, but they uh, they don't seem to get on with all their other extra different members of the family. Well, it's probably because they all have such extroverted big personalities that they are inevitably going to clash. Mm. So uh, we'll see how the guy... I mean, Monty, I mean, without spoiling too much, he is quite normal, really, for a member of the Witch's family. Um, I, say, I, say, I say normal, obviously, very loosely. He's, he's not as diabolical or outrageous as the others. He's still a bit daft. He bit. still wears a sailor's hat <laughs> yeah. on land, indoors. Yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> kooky. I think the word is kooky that yeah. we're looking for. Yeah. yeah, he's he's a bit kooky, but yeah, old cousin uh, Monty. So we'll meet him very very shortly. Anyway, the episode after the titles. Speaking of, uh, what was she dressed as, guys? I can't remember now. Uh, a really that. sort of like bad cowboy outfit. Like it, it was like a combination between cowboy, hippie, fireman. Yeah, I think they just had a cowboy hat lying around, and everything else was not part of a cowboy ensemble. Because yeah, it, yeah. Uh, it literally looked like the costume designer walked into the costume cupboard and just went, "That'll do." That'll do. Yeah, yeah. and she said something really undecipherable as well. Like, um, yeah, it's a quote. Maybe it, was, it sounded like maybe a quote from like a John Wayne film or something. Yeah. Again, we've not S- say say it to me again, cowboy. Or S- smile like when you say that. Something like that. Yeah, but um. Yeah, at least it's a new outfit after the um, hack job of, yeah. uh, last time, the rehash of last time. Yeah, but that was again, really disappointing. Again, with like, I still firmly believe that the first few episodes, the the outfit at the end of the credits sort of reflected something that happened within yeah the, yeah the the episode. And it just hasn't happened again. She should have dressed as Santa because she dresses as, as Santa. Again, again. Yes. Or, or even an elf to not give it away that it's yeah, related yeah. to Santa. Yeah. They, they got fucking lazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Christmas episode. They should have dressed. Uh, this is coming from someone who hates Christmas. They should have dressed as Christmas. They've recorded just dozens of them and they've just scattered them out going, oh, that episode can happen, regardless of what episode it is. But yeah, they missed the trick with the Halloween one, they missed the trick with the Christmas one. Yeah. So it's a bit of a shame. Hopefully they do get funny because they started off quite good. 
Yeah, they've just gone a bit yeah. downhill now, haven't they? Yeah. Ooh, anyway, let's move on. Um, so, uh, after the credits, Zelda is making some mulled cider, bubbling and smoky as usual. Yes. Uh, but Salem wants a glass of eggnog. Zelda says he can't drink liquor because his little kitty liver will give out. He asks them to give him a break because he gets depressed this time of year. I mean, who wants to be a cat at Christmas? Indeed. So, um, yeah, it's we've, this is an episode where we see a, a bit of a darker side to Salem, not in terms of diabolical evilness, but like he's kind of in a, a bit of an unrelentless, stubborn, selfish, yeah. kind of giving up kind of... It's mood. the most Salem we've had so far. I mean, obviously we had his sort of his backstory established in the uh, pilot, but um, really um, he is just a joke uh, machine. You know, mm. he's just sort of like a just just fires out a few quips at Sabrina, and that's pretty much all we've seen of him. Um, this is the first time he's really central to a plot, I think. Yeah, so. and he's and the things he says like throughout the episode, he's quite like dangerously depressed and it's like it's it's like it come I mean he says obviously this is the worst time of the year for him and stuff and he comes out like all these sort of not dark thoughts or anything but he's he's just he just doesn't care just doesn't give a fuck at the moment this time of year I've just realised something any time we get any sort of depth or fleshing out of a character it's usually quite depressing we usually find out that they've got a real <laughs> darkness to them you know we get an episode about Mr. Poole it's it's quite dark his sort of his story. You get an episode about Harvey. It's quite dark his story. Like these people have quite messed up lives. This is quite a everything usually ends up all right more or less for everybody in the end. But in in many respects, this is quite a dark show with some very sort of tortured characters. Mm. Maybe what the writers were trying to do is to try and really ground this this uh, TV show in the real world, Maybe. giving everyone mm. a sort of. Because let's face it, no one in this world is 100% happy all the time. No. So maybe the whole making everything dark makes the, the light that much brighter. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think you could be right there. And I also think, I mean, it's definitely not a criticism. Um, it's it's really good that these characters have that depth to them. It does elevate it above it's a very, the usual sitcom fare. Yeah, it's so. a very unique level of character development with sitcoms that just... Um, whatever happens within that 20 minutes, that's it. It's never referenced again or whatever yeah. like that. I mean, some plot lines follow through, some little yeah. like story arcs and yeah. stuff. But, um, yeah, to put that much of a... Uh, to reveal that much of a character in such a short amount of time is quite... Yeah, yeah it's quite unusual, but brilliant. It's Yeah, I mean, there is a bit of the... At the end of the show, everything's more or less the same as when it started. But when we do get sort of to know a character, when sort of a character is sort of, you know, explored... Mm. They go very deep, yeah. and that um, a definite sort of um, not a unique selling point, you know, but you know, a definite sort of like yeah, say something that elevates the show above a typical sitcom. I would say yeah, oh, definitely yeah. Um, so uh, we cut upstairs, and Sabrina is wearing a delightfully festive cardi. Mm. However, when Florence in it in the mirror, uh, she notices it's been torn up by Salem. Furious, she bolts it downstairs to demand an apology, which Salem refuses to give her, simply saying that if she didn't want it ripped, she shouldn't have hidden a diary under it. Yeah. Again, we've got Salem just going, ah, I don't care about personal he space, I don't care about your own feelings, I will do what I want to do and I will cause havoc, because at the end of the day, I'm a cat because... I tried to take over the world, and I'm going to torture everyone else in my life until yeah. I am no longer a cat. We've just said that we go, they go deep on these character developments, but at the same time, we've still got that two-dimensional uh, 
version of each character. They sort yeah. of revert back, if that makes sense. Mm. So it's your standard episode. We have two-dimensional characters, but then once it gets going, we uncover uh, a deeper meaning. Yeah. I mean, we were just discussing then that, you know, Salem doesn't give a shit about anybody because he's bitter that he's a cat having once been, a, you know, so powerful as a witch. That in itself is sort of like the two-dimensional version of Salem we've seen is given its third dimension in this episode because you kind of get come to finding out why he is the mm. way he is, you know, sort of his, his motivations for sort of behaving how he does. Yeah. Well, mm. after, um, you know, still refusing to apologise or even just say sorry, uh, Salem asks if Sabrina can take him to the slicery because he's getting a spot of cabin fever. She says hell no and swears she would never take him even if he was the last cat slash human on Earth. Um, she storms upstairs and goes to change. And Hilda and Zelda comment on how self-centred he is, even for a cat. Well, yeah, because let's face it, all cats are self-centred. You can sort of live with cats being sort of selfish and quite often not really seeming to give a shit about you. But I think if they also were sort of self-pitying and melancholic, that would it reached a point where it's like, this just is not worth keeping as a pet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he, um, he starts sort of practising just to himself, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then you think, okay, maybe he will be the bigger man or bigger cat. But he doesn't. He says, I'm sorry, I didn't think of this earlier. And he jumps into Sabrina's backpack. And then Sabrina comes back down, magics up a gift for Harvey, and leaves for the slicery with Salem in tow. Um, clearly not recognising how heavy her bag now is. Unless the, she has put a spell on her bag, so it's always... Like feather light. Oh, maybe, yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah, she uses magic quite selfishly to help herself. So, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're just coming up with this, but maybe yeah. that's... Yeah. That, maybe yeah. that explains why. That That's that plot hole filled. That's fine. Oh, no, because uh, uh, Hermione does something similar. She's got that... Yeah. Uh, in Harry Potter, she's got that wee purse, and she's she puts everything in it. There's yeah. a whole, like, library in there. But it's as light as a feather, because she's always carrying it. So, if we're going to cross the two worlds together because they are all part of the same canon obviously yeah, clearly yeah. Uh, then we know that sort of spell exists yeah so yeah I'll buy that for a dollar yeah I would as well yeah I'd buy that for a dollar this is why we do this show guys we <laughs> we we find those plot holes and we fill them in well we? uh, the good thing with a show where the central plot is uh, magic is you can just explain away everything with it's magic <laughs> it's very true so anyway at the slicery uh, Harvey's been reading Sports Illustrated uh, which he says is great for him because now he has something to talk about with his dad in church I mean bless him and the three of us just went oh poor Again, guy this this story of uh, Harvey where he doesn't reveal an awful lot about himself apart from his clearly rocky relationship with his dad yeah you know he's, uh, we keep saying he's this jock with a heart but he's kind of like this jock who doesn't really want to be a jock sure he's got trophies and recognition and he's popular to a degree but it's it's kind of not who he is no he just he just he wants he just wants to be liked and loved, and he would do anything for that. And the person that he wants to love him the most is his dad. Yeah. And bless him, he just doesn't have the same skills as his father, so he just goes along with it. Yeah, and you, you, know, you know what? You know what, Harvey's dad? Right, okay, you, you've got a really sweet... Lad there, you've got a really nice son, and if you can't appreciate that just because he doesn't like sport as much as you do, then you know, fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, you okay, Greg? I'm fine. I'm <laughs> you, fine. You see me? Okay. <laughs> Wipe the froth from your mouth, and we'll uh, <laughs> we'll continue. Wow, I've never seen Graham seed so much. Oh, I have. I just like Harvey. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, we're all for Harvey. And we need to get those wristbands that were once popular back in uh, when we were in high school. Just, yeah, hashtag, what is it? Hashtag free Harvey or save Harvey. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he then nervously presents Sabrina with a gift, which happens to be a beautiful silver necklace or a choker, as he says he's recently learnt what it is. Uh, he says that his sister helped him pick it out, but was worried about the size as uh, she has a ferociously large neck. Or how does he... Re- the does neck he of a Weinbacker, he says. <laughs> so, again, we've got this image. So we now know Harvey's got a sister who is, uh, for lack of a better phrasing, a beefcake. <laughs> yeah. um, and, again, it's like... She's got the neck of a linebacker, which makes me think that her dad, so Harvey's dad, has pushed her into sport as well. Yeah. Or whether she was naturally, had natural attributes for sport and just went along with it. But it seems like Harvey is really being pigeonholed by his father and his family. Yeah. Because they're all into sport, so he has to be into sport. Yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't know Harvey's dad, although we hate him. Um, <laughs> but... Um, I would imagine sort of traditional sort of like sports mad dad, you know, he would be, if Harvey was a girl, he would be okay with him not being that great at sport and mm. sort of, you know, just sort of being sort of like a nice sort of good looking, uh, you know, young person who, you know, sort of gets by. But because he is a boy, that's that's not enough. But because he's a boy and he's not sort of up to snuff in terms of, you know, his, um, his, uh, athletic uh, prowess as Chris said he may have transplanted that sort of um, vicarious living onto his uh, sister if his sister yeah. is athletically built. I've got it right obviously I'm taking <laughs> stereotypes from many different uh, TV programs from America where the father was uh, I think the phrasing is all American. Yeah. Mm. Yeah so he was all American quarterback for the double A triple A football or something. Yeah. And that's what he was. So he, for lack of a better phrasing, peaked in high school, then got a college scholarship, wasn't good enough to continue it on within the professional realm, took a menial job and still played on weekends. And then because of that, he wants his son and daughter to do what he was unable to do, which is make it professionally in the uh, sports Mm. industry. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah, and you get that here, you know, you're like a dad who's on like the books of Everton when he was like 11, and then he got injured, and then uh, <laughs> it, it never it never happened, and then, uh, yeah, and then the, the son comes along and it's like, no, now you're going to be a professional footballer. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's, yeah, it's, it's, we keep getting these things, I mean, hopefully, I mean, again, this is where our uh, knowledge of the show lets us down, maybe, maybe episodes down the line, maybe it might even take years, maybe we'll meet. Mr. Kinkle. Maybe. But, uh, so I'm looking forward to the possibility of that. So hopefully it does happen uh, soon anyway. Um, so then Sabrina presents him with her lazy gift. And I say lazy because Harvey clearly spent time with this, asking nervously, perhaps asking his sister to help him buy this necklace for a girl he likes. And she just, bing, just magics this gift, which it turns out is a scarf. Um, and oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's, it's not a scarf. It's a scaff. It's a scaff. Yeah, it's a scaff. Remember, you can't magic... Oh yeah, brand. Oh, right. yeah. Why is scarf a brand? It is now. Okay, just for for the purpose of that joke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so she she's magicked up this scarf, which he goes, oh, did you make? Um, she goes, I made it myself. I mean, she did. She pointed finger at it. He goes, oh, do you knit? She goes, oh, 
Oh, I made it myself. So oh. it's, it's just this lazy gift that she's made appear, and it's not even got these home touches to it. Yeah, I'm awfully sorry. We got so caught up in Harvey's dad conundrum mm. that we forgot to to reference the necklace, the jewellery. Are they boyfriend and girlfriend? Oh, yes! Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, for the past couple of episodes, because at the end of Magic Joel, uh, you might remember that Sabrina and Harvey seemingly went on a date, and two episodes have passed, and that's never been mentioned. They haven't behaved like boyfriend and girlfriend. They still don't in this episode, apart from the fact that they are buying sort of nice, especially Harvey buying her jewellery, like, you know, these gifts they're buying for each other and just, you know, exchanging between the two of them and a group of friends exchanging gifts suggest that they are boyfriend and girlfriend. But this has not really been properly established at all. Yeah, because where, where, when I was 16, 17, even actually younger than that, when I, uh, yeah, I think it was 14, I, it was the first Christmas that I had a girlfriend, and I bought her jewellery because yeah. that was what you do. That is what you do. Yeah. So from that, from that assumption, you'd imagine that they are boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah. but it isn't referenced, and it's really weird. Yeah, and yeah. I don't, I don't know where, I don't know where we're at with that. I don't know how to feel. Mainly because we were so invested in the two of these people becoming boyfriend and girlfriend. I mean, we, we stood up, we cheered, we clapped when they exactly. agreed to go on a date. You know, we were we were proper yeah. into this. We wanted them to fall in love and to think that maybe that's happening now. And it's so half-hearted. It's so it's not so happening, isn't so it? so ill-defined. That's a big disappointment. If this is as good as it gets... Then that's very sad. The main focus we can tell about it was episode eight, mm-hmm. Magic Joe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, episode eight was Sabrina and Harvey. Are they going to get it together? Yeah. And then since episode eight, it's just fallen by the wayside mm. to make room for some weird wackiness. Yeah. 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 Up your romance game because <laughs> yeah. these these three uh, men in their late twenties, we want teen romance. <laughs> that's exactly what we want. Whoa, 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 let's be careful how we phrase that. Oh, we, yeah, on TV, <laughs> we, want, we, on want, TV. we want to see. Teen romance. No, 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 be careful we say that. Teen romance. Nice, you know, nice sort of, you know, just sort of affection and, you know, sort of kinship being shown between, uh, between you know, uh, young people on our TV. We like that. It's nice. Uh, we good? Moving on! We're Moving good. on, yes, swiftly. Um, so, yeah, so she's opened up this, uh, so she's given Harvey this uh, gift, which has been torn up by <laughs> Salem. She still doesn't notice it, that Salem's in the bag even when she lifts the present out. Uh, she says, why does my cat ruin everything? She says, um, and Harvey goes, oh, it's all right, I was going to rip it open anyway. Oh, just, he's fine he just, with everything, he makes, isn't he? he so just, sweet. Any, any issue that happens, he's like, oh, it's all right, don't worry about it, I got this covered. He's just he's just a nice guy. He yeah. just makes if anybody fucks up, he sort of makes them feel takes the sort of emphasis off them and makes them feel okay about it. Yeah. Just, you know, that's a really sweet, sweet quality to have. Anyway, their Christmas pizza is ready. Which is what, Graham? Well it's the Good King Wenceslas special. Deep pan, crisp and even. <laughs> it's not. That's my joke. Um <laughs> I but no, it's got, it's got peppers on it. Green and uh, red peppers. Yeah. It is ready to be picked up. And once they're in line, they notice that mistletoe is hanging above them, or parsley, as Harvey uh, <laughs> thinks it. But he, he reacts like, oh, look, parsley. As if that's just, oh, that's so natural. Oh, look, in the slicery that we visit all the time, they decided to decorate with parsley. She corrects him and says, oh, no, I think it's mistletoe. And then the pizzeria man just goes, 
Yeah. Why don't you give her a kiss? I now, think she'll so like, creepy. I think now she'll he, like that. That's what he says. He wants to see teen romance. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing. We, you, you see him. He's got the small round glasses. He's a slight. He was a thin man. Soul patch. Soul patch. Yeah. I'm. I was he balding? balding yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had a skullet. Yeah, he had yeah. a skullet, and and it was just like you. You are the reason why we have we can't let kids out at night. Mm. You are the reason why, when the streetlights turned on, you had to be at home. He looks like a character from GTA. Like. His, his face! His face when he thinks these teenagers are going to kiss in front of him. Oh! oh. But like I said, that, that, the line, he says, like, oh, you know, um, you know, oh, give her a kiss. I think she'll like that. And he's like, well, you certainly do. And oh, it's just, yeah, he's got these grin and he's this in, so intense stare at them, just. Oh, I mean, luckily we brush away off his face a little bit, and there's yeah. this sort of romantic music, a bit of a slow motion camera, and they're just about to kiss. Chris, you look like you're, you're about to say something. I just no, I just had an image of the guy. Just, just, just scarred. Oh, just, just scarred. This, by genuinely, this image of the guy yeah. driving around like a town centre in a white van, just yeah. like just. I mean, DC's hands. Yeah. No. His hands below the I th- counter. I think, he, I think he's resting on the counter. It could be fake hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Anyway. Oh, how have we managed to get here? Right anyway, the, the Americans have a word for people like him, and it is uh, skeevy. <laughs> yeah, so this skeevy gentleman is encouraging <laughs> them um, to kiss. And just about uh, as they are, Salem pops his head out of the bag and notices a mouse. He then leaps out of the bag. Everyone's all screaming. Um, the, uh, the pizza owner... Tells Sabrina to get this dirty cat out, um, and he tells him, "Oh, we don't have mice, so I'll get this dirty cat out." Well, um, tells that he can't take Salem out. Uh, she can't take Salem out through the front door, as he's a health hazard. Take him through the kitchen instead. <laughs> <laughs> it just uh, no. <laughs> Chris, Chris, I was like, just just forget about that evil man. Okay, shh, shh, he can't hurt. He can't hurt you now. You're too old for him anyway. <laughs> so um, yeah, so we're back at the so we're in the alleyway behind uh, the slicery now, and Sabrina is yeah she's she's off on one having a kicking off with Salem because she's um, she's been kicked out of the pizzeria. She actually says, "You got me kicked out of the slicery. It's the one place I had privacy." Salem then I'd can- just like to point out the slicery is indeed a public place so where, well, it's, it's privacy away from a family where a man stares at you while you kiss your boyfriend it's anything but private <laughs> well I mean you know what she means she, it's, it's, she's away from prying eyes to have a yeah. family yeah. Um, and then Salem says again something very real he says don't talk to me about privacy I'm the one who has to relieve himself in a box in the kitchen yes touche it's... okay I just I'd like to point this out this is a cat who is somehow able to answer the phone, who can talk, who has the the epitome to actually be a human inside a cat. So if we take that logic that he is being either transformed into a cat, then why the fuck doesn't he just use the toilet? Yeah, no. absolutely. Yeah, but he um, yeah. Nevertheless, yeah, he's he's angry about this. What Sabrina is angry about him for, he's just as angry because he's got a point to prove as well. Uh, anyway, Harvey comes around the back of the slicery with the pizza to go, just as Sabrina is finishing up her rant at Salem. Um, she says, sometimes I forget he's just a stupid cat. A stupid, stupid, stupid cat. And again, we see Sabrina as an unlikable character. I think... she's Her, her anger is justified here. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah no, I, I agree with that. still, it's... Again, I, I have not had a single moment where I've gone, you know what, Sabrina... 
you're all right. Not for a while. I think in some of the in some of the early episodes, she seemed to do seemed to have a very good heart and things. And, yeah. You know, you felt happy for her, especially stuff with Harvey. You know, you thought it was really sweet. But yeah, I think I think it is justified in this one. But I think she does need a bit more. I don't know. Like we said, a bit more sort of substance. Yeah, substance. We said in the last episode she might be the worst character in the show, despite being the one that it's uh, named after. And yeah, she just needs a bit more sort of. Yeah, this is our this is our girl. This is our hero. This is who we want to root for. Because after all, this show is primarily about her. Yeah, we've not had that for a while. I think she, I think it's only justified in this instance just because Salem is being a bigger dick. Yeah, so he's he's the one who is. Yeah, but you don't fight dicks with dicks, do you? Well, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I, well, if if somebody does something which someone who is your your friend, I guess he is her friend, Salem is, um, you know, does something which he knows will piss her off, and he knows is sort of above his sort of uh, station or what have you. Um, and you know it causes her a great amount of sort of humiliation and embarrassment. Then you're within your rights to say, "What the fuck did you do that for?" I think. Yeah, it's, I think just, it's, it's, ju- to... it's just like it's just like a fight you'd have with a sibling. I think. Just... Yeah. He... No, I think I'm going to have to break out the old Team America speech here. It's like dicks fuck pussies. Pussies can't fuck dicks. Dicks can also fuck assholes, but assholes shit all over everything. Salem's the asshole. Sabrina's the dick. Harvey's the pussy. Well, that's true. Yes. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, so, uh, yes, Sabrina orders Salem to get back in a bag, but he says he doesn't need her help to get home. Of course, being very, very stubborn and reluctant to just let bygones be bygones and I think ultimately apologise for ripping up a jumper. That's what she's still pissed off about. Uh, anyway, she leaves Salem in the alleyway. Uh, we're then at the Spellman's and Hilda is refusing to cook Christmas dinner, which she promised to Zelda because uh, Zelda has apparently cooked it for the last 280 years straight. Through greater teeth, she points a finger at the dinner table and poof, Christmas feast made. I hate cooking, Hilda says. Oh, That's all it takes. Just I mean, pointing yeah, I... just... Insta food. I mean, it I, just posed the question, I guess, how much thought does making magic take? I, well, know. I know I know they're just pointing at something, but has she got to imagine what the turkey's going to look like? What, how many Brussels sprouts are going to be in this pot? Maybe how the, creamy the mashed potato is? Maybe the food was overcooked because she's angry. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Suddenly at the door, it's Cousin Monty, the sailor, arrives in the house. Uh, and he's brought a friend. <laughs> Two, in fact. Uh, first off, we meet Newt the Salamander. Which uh, I, I like Newt and just purely because he, he's, he's there. And the reason, we learned that the reason why he is a Newt is because he was uh, friends with Salem. And he was part of the whole world domination sort of moment. And Salem had promised Newt Denmark. Denmark. He did, yeah. And he posed a question as well that... Um, because when, um, in the episode of Terrible Things, when Sabrina committed all those terrible things, uh, Drell threatened to turn her into a cat. And I thought, oh, maybe just a punishment for um, breaking the rules and changing the world, mm. whatever it is, to be turned to a cat. But clearly you can be turned into things w- much worse, I guess. At well, least at least Salem well, has a bit of freedom as a cat. How much freedom would a newt have? Well, it, it's one of the, you, you get turned into a witch's familiar. And as we've known over the years, witch's familiars tend to be... Owls, cats, newts, rats, farmers. <laughs> <laughs> um, if there's maybe five or six 
typical familiars for witches. Did you reckon there was six or five, five or six people affiliated with Salem's plot, or each of them are different creatures? Hey, maybe, maybe we meet them all. I yeah. don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. May- Toad. Toad. Ah, yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we meet, yeah, Newt Salamander, um, who, uh, yeah, we learn is a, is a is Salem's oldest and dearest friend. Yeah, and um, he's voiced by Billy West, who is a. Uh, Perhaps not at this stage as well established as he is now in the voice acting uh, realm, but um, he went on a few years after this um, to be the voice of Fry and Zoidberg and many other characters in Futurama. Yeah, so he's, you know, and he's yeah, even now he's voicing uh, things like Rocket Raccoon in some uh, animated Spider-Man films. He voiced things in Skylander and all, like, like a tremendous amount of work. But yeah, maybe in this day this was his. Um, Started a lot of work behind him, but yeah, nothing as big as Futurama, which is. Yeah. Um, obviously coming uh, very soon after this. Um, and yeah, and his second friend we meet is Lulu, uh, the contortionist, um, who's played by... Uh, Kerry Norton, a uh, contortionist slash actress. I can't <laughs> imagine there's too many of those. Um, <laughs> but she's uh, the wife of Jamie Bamber, who was um, in Battlestar Galactica, amongst other things, uh, the British acting couple. And you hear her accent slip quite a lot yes, in this. Yes. She doesn't have many lines, but her Britishness seeps through nonetheless. But yeah. I don't have a problem with that. Any ridiculously flexible, attractive British woman is okay in my book. Yeah. If and if many other countries, no, that's just not good <laughs> at all. Um. So, yeah, out pops Lulu, uh, out of his suitcase, in fact, because, you know, he's not brought any clothes, just just his, uh, his uh, girlfriend, who he says, um, is he, did he find in a circus? Or yeah, he, he think, yeah, he thinks she's just some poor woman who's only... Only thing she has to her name is the fact that she can bend herself in half, and she's just making a living in the circus. Yeah. Um, so anyway, she proceeds to do weird bendy stuff in the front room. Uh, in walks Sabrina. Glad I didn't invite Harvey. She says because <laughs> that's all he needs. Um, Zelda introduces Sabrina to the guests, and notably Newt. We said, um, and Sabrina reveals to the family that she left Salem in a dumpster at the slicery, but ensures everyone he'll be fine because he's the only cat in town who can hail a cab. <laughs> so uh, yeah, very very true. Um, we then cut to Salem, who's singing sea shanties in the dustbin. I don't know particularly why he's got. I, any... Yeah, I Do you reckon he's got connections to? Seafaring? Don't know. Maybe, maybe him and Monty went out on the on the boat together at one point. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, they, they are familiar with each other. Aren't maybe they? maybe tried to uh, take over the world from uh, a nuclear submarine. Hey, maybe. Yeah. You, you just don't know. Yeah, he's seen sea shanties a few times in this episode. Um, maybe, maybe there's more to it, or it's just maybe I just wanted to sing anything he wanted to. Um, so after much deliberation, he then decides to head back home. He, he thinks, "Oh, the family have worried about me enough, so I'll head." But instead, he jumps in front of a young boy on a bicycle who scoots him up and takes him home. This boy who's cycling round the alleyways. Back alleys, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Strange. Um, but yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. This boy who is cycling around the back alley of the pizzeria oh, with the creepy no. man. He had a lucky escape. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh. Imagine if, imagine if he was in the queue to pick up a pizza. Go on, kiss the boy. Kiss the cat. <laughs> Maybe that's his ultimate fetish. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Back at the Spellmans, and they're all enjoying a hot beverage and using Lulu, naturally, as a coffee table. <laughs> uh, Hilda goes to the door, hoping the noise is Salem. However, it's kids in the street throwing snowballs. The feral youth of uh, Westbridge. Yes. Uh, she then proceeds to... Um, uh, she tells the kids, watch out for the ice. She seemingly makes ice appear and they all fall over and hurt themselves. Slippery floor. 
Yes, and looking... Hilda is back, people. <laughs> she is. Hilda is back. She is causing chaos. She is killing people, injuring them in all manners of different ways. There is like literally it. no rest for the wicked, is there? She's <laughs> no. just Christmas time. Christmas time. She's she's still out causing. She's terror. still she's still wanting children to break their necks. Yeah. But if 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 they're throwing snowballs at you for no reason, they fucking deserve it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so Monty shows some concern for Salem's whereabouts, but again, Sabrina ensures him that he's probably having the time of his life but he ain't as we find out uh, the young boy who's rescued him uh, has made him wear a dress and he's playing doctor with him Uh, the boy's father comes into the room and reluctantly allows his uh, son to keep the cat who he has renamed Stinky Probably because he found him in a dumpster, so he probably does stink. Yeah, probably. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so we've introduced the two little um, guests. The first one being uh, the young boy, uh, who we later learned the episode is called Rex. Uh, but his real name is... Seth Atkins. Um, he's acting didn't really seem to last beyond his childhood, but he was a did have a very minor role. Uh, we talked about um, Andrew Keegan being in uh, Independence Day, the biggest film of 1996. Well, Seth Atkins was in the biggest film of 97, Titanic. He played three-year-old Slovakian boy. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> oh, did, he, did he get any nominations? Uh... Um, yeah, he was a uh, best Eastern European child. Um, <laughs> but um, the, the, the father is uh, who we uh, really need to talk about here. Yes, um, so he is, it's Joe O'Connor. Yeah, Joe O'Connor is his name. He uh, is best known for playing uh, Clarissa's father. Mr. Explains It All in, uh, in Clarissa Explains It All. Um, Marshall was the uh, the uh, character's name, the dad's name, uh, Clarissa. Yeah, so it's nice. I mean, we didn't look to see if he had any other um, just random parts throughout Sabrina's um, series, but particularly in this episode, yeah, so yeah, it's nice that a uh, nice little callback yeah, to, yeah. Uh, to previous success. Still playing a dad, obviously, albeit not uh, Melissa John Hart's uh, father in this one. Um, so It'd be good if they interacted, but they don't. Yeah, that'd be nice. Quite like a... Uh, surreal moments yeah. of these two giants clashing like ah, but no, no we don't see that unfortunately um, anyway back at the Spellmans and uh, naturally Lulu is stroking Monty's face with her foot uh, not at the dinner table please uh, after more concern for Salem Sabrina still reckons he's fine saying because he's got a fur coat he'll be kept warm outside of course he will uh, Monty then explains that he was born in a lighthouse which apparently explains why he's wearing the sailor's hat I don't get it yeah, I didn't really understand I didn't that at really all. Follow. I thought maybe because he says he lives in a lighthouse, that explains the hat. Maybe he wasn't manning the lighthouse properly, and a boat crashed, and he took the hat from the sa- from the captain. <laughs> maybe <laughs> we've learned that these all these characters are a little weird, aren't they? Some yeah, and some of them are a little murderous. Yeah, a little dangerous. <laughs> so maybe he just was like, oh well, he's not going to need this anymore, is he? So uh, yeah, so that's uh, Monty yeah. and his hat story. Well, I was I was born in a hospital. That's why I wear a stethoscope around my neck. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. uh, the phone rings and it's Salem, and he panically explains to Sabrina that he's been kidnapped or catnapped, uh, and he's been forced to wear a nightgown. Um, he says, uh, I, "I just before I got here, I noticed uh, where he lived. I spotted where the boy lived. He's got a white front door and a wreath." Right. Which, yeah, it's very very helpful. Okay. Uh, we, we, can we get back to the front door and the wreath in a second? We, I have an issue now. Yes. Big issue again with Salem and his use of 
yeah. of things. He makes another fucking phone call in this No, no, no. I, I have come to terms with him being able to operate a mobile phone or a yeah. phone of some variety. What I haven't come to terms with is that, A, the kid has a phone in his room to begin with. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Okay. And two, the phone is like on a chest of drawers next to the bed. Salem somehow gets the phone, takes it over to midway across the bed, and then makes the phone call. Yeah. Well, what I've got to say is in the next episode, episode 12, you see Salem answer the phone. Oh, well. Like like the physical process of how he does it. Yeah, it's just the phone is on the bed and he just goes, boop. Yeah, but it's no, 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 no. I've come to terms with that. I've come to terms with that. It's the taking of the phone from the chest of drawers to the bed. I mean, how? He has no opposable thumbs. (laughs) If it's already on the bed, obviously, you can just go, and and anything can do that. What more do you want? want Just just, we don't need to know how he answers the phone. We kind of do, actually. All we needed to see was him, like, knock it over onto the chest of drawers or onto the floor just with his head and that would have sufficed but we, we, we don't know it would be nice to see it <laughs> okay it would be it would push the animatronics to the absolute limit I'm sure but it would be good to see it so uh, yeah the young boy snatches the phone off him and says no phone for stinky uh, Sabrina's obviously still in the end and he tells Sabrina that he's uh, that the, the cat stinky is now his Sabrina then realises the magnitude of her behaviour and so does Salem yes they both come to terms that their uh, erratic, unnecessary, immature behaviour has caused them both to be in a right pickle. Yeah. Um, so uh, Sabrina then barges back into the dining room and tells the family that Salem has been kidnapped. Monty offers to pay the ransom, but then seems relieved when his assistance is not needed. Yeah. <laughs> he says, just remember, I offered. <laughs> just remember, I offered. Yeah. Which is our funny. Uh, Sabrina asks if they can use magic to find him. But no, apparently you can't file a missing witch's report for 24 hours. Just like the real police. Exactly. The clues Salem gave Sabrina, obviously, which is a white door, a Christmas wreath, uh, the kid having a lisp, as well, forgot to mention, and the fact that he's in a nightgown are sadly unhelpful. But they decide to look out for him the mortal way. Uh, again, Monty offers to help, but seeing that Lulu has got a leg stuck behind her head, uh, he <laughs> says he holds the fort and will stay here. I just... It was one of those moments where my mind went went west, <laughs> and it was like, "Don't worry, we'll come and help." Oh no, my uh, girlfriend has her leg stuck behind her head. We'll stay here and man the fort. Also, um, a, a really funny line which we forgot is um, where Sabrina says. Um, I could kick myself for uh, leaving him there, and then Lulu says, "I can kick myself." <laughs> <laughs> I love. I don't know. I don't know why this this Lulu's been brought. It's just obviously clearly the just strangest... silly gags and stuff. I think they must have just known of her. There's this actress been, yeah. who is like a fantastic contortionist. It would be funny if we had her in the show. Like, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, she doesn't bring anything to oh, no. to the episode. The, the episode laughs. That's yeah, it, like the episode could have ran quite smoothly with just cousin Monty coming to visit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> I feel like she just turned up on set and it was like, and they just wrote her in, or she just sat there and made quips. Yeah. We quickly then cut back to the boy's house, and Salem is crying that he's all alone. Yeah. Again, he's still realizing that he needs to change his behaviour a bit. Um, anyway, Sabrina, Hilda and Zelda arrive at the slicery to find it locked, obviously, uh, and no trace of Salem. Sabrina says that unfortunately um, they can't find him and the only witnesses were the posters and they're not much help. Well, we haven't asked him. 
Zelda says. Uh, she points at the poster of rap sensation Coolio, who jumps out the poster and offers his assistance. Yeah, um, I mean, we've established that portraits can, can talk in terrifying and irritating ways. Fortunately, this isn't just a mouth sort of sticking out the Coolio yeah. poster and rrr, rrr. like, yeah, Coolio himself, a uh, singer of um, Gangster's Paradise, but also of the Keenan and Kel theme tune, yeah. which is a more sort of uh, relevant uh, point here. Uh, yeah, he comes to life. The real Coolio. Wearing a vest in this alleyway. His nipples are hard. Nick, 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 Nick. <laughs> yes. I just, I, I, I made this point when we were watching it, but I still think it's a very valid point. Many societies and cultures believe that when your photograph is taken, a piece of your soul is, is stolen away and kept in the photograph. Mm. And I feel like this is the, the, the perfect representation of that in the witching world where a po- photo of Coolio has been taken it is now a poster on the wall and that that is part of Coolio's soul which is why they were able to summon, summon him from the wall yeah because he makes a point that says he's not he's not Coolio yeah. I'm, I'm just a poster exactly yeah yeah. that poster is one of Coolio's horcruxes yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yeah, one thing I didn't notice the first time I watched it, but you did. Uh, where's Coolio playing at? Uh, the Westbridge Arena, Westbridge, which has been established as quite a small town, like a suburb of Boston, has its own arena that one of the most famous rappers in the world at that time is performing at. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, it's sold out. This sold yeah. out Coolio gig. Um, yeah, Westbridge Arena. Yeah, yeah, we don't have one in Warrington, do we? No, we don't. <laughs> We're arguably bigger. So yeah, Coolio offers his assistance. Um, Zelda says we need some information. Uh, well, as you can see, that's right up my alley, he says. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yes, Coolio. Coolio. Coolio's got all the jokes. Uh, uh, Sabrina asks him if he's seen a cat, to which he replies that he's seen a lot of them. Too many to remember. Well, Sabrina says, he's black, uh, about this tall. Oh, and he talks. Oh! Oh, the talking cat. Yeah, I remember him. So Coolio tells him what he knows and where he thinks he is. He says that he thinks the boy's name is Rex, which he then says, Rex is Latin for king. Yeah, Coolio, Coolio knows Latin. Coolio knows his stuff. Um, and the general direction he went in. Uh, he says, anyways, I should get back to work. Are you guys coming to the concert, he asks. Uh, it's sold out, Sabrina says. Could you get us tickets? He goes, sorry, I'm just a poster. Maybe try a billboard. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, very funny. Are billboards bigger parts of his soul? Maybe. Maybe. He, if he's distributed parts of his soul in things like posters and billboards or... Um, on the sides of buses and stuff. Do you reckon, like, he's barely got any soul left when he's... I reckon so. By this stage, he must have been photographed and marketed, distributed so many times, yeah. That probably explains why Michael Owen is so wooden in Zero to Hero. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh. So hopefully, hopefully you guys listen remember Zero to Hero. Why, why did he run? It was like... It was, it was when Michael Owen was, like, the, was hot shit, so it's probably like about... Probably, it was one series, it was about 99, I would imagine. Yeah, and it's just this, about this young boy who um, is... Um, he just plays for his, his, his local little football team, and his dad's the coach, is that right? And um, He has a poster yeah. of Michael Owen in his room. Well, his dad, we were talking about um, frustrated, could have been a professional sportsman dads. His dad was a really promising young footballer who had an injury. Yeah. That was that, that's, that's the story yeah. of his father in it. Michael Owen, uh, for, if anybody doesn't know, I guess if you're not from the UK, you might not, uh, was um, an England football uh, soccer player of, of that time. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so this young boy has a poster of Michael Owen in his room. And he, he just comes to life. Yeah. And I remember the one disturbing bit is this boy's crying in the shower and Michael Owen comes out and checks if he's all right. Okay, Michael <laughs> Owen was barely more than a boy himself at the yeah. time. So yeah. yeah. 
If but, it was Alan Shearer, it would have been a lot weird. <laughs> <laughs> I would very much like to see a spin-off where Coolio comes out a poster and just um, teaches a young boy how to rap better. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be good. Anyway, let's continue with this episode. So a montage then plays of all three women knocking on various front doors, looking for where Salem may be. But no luck. Chris, you displayed a bit of dislike for this when you when we were watching yeah, it. Yeah, no, uh, the montage of Hilda, Zelda and Sabrina knocking on doors was fine. But then we went into this weird sort of CGI, trippy sequence. trippy sequence of just yeah. Sabrina's head with a bunch of doors around it closing. I was just like, Jesus, why? And she's walking on the spot, isn't yeah. she? Going, you quite clearly see that she's walking on the spot. It was, it was just poorly acted and poorly put together. Yeah. It was something that we could have done when we were 16 in the editing suite. Yeah. Yeah. Do, you know what, do you know what she should have done? What? She, the family should have gone in the linen closet and gone to Aunt Vesta's and opened up one of the doors... And behind there would have been what she wanted, which would have been the house that Salem was in. Oh, God. That's what they should have done, isn't it? <laughs> they, 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 could, they could go there for everything, always, couldn't they? They could, couldn't they? Unfortunately, Raquel Welsh is too expensive for that to happen. <laughs> so, um... so we cut back to the kids' room. What would MacGyver do if he were a cat, Salem says, as he tries to plan his escape? Um, which almost works if it wasn't for the boy's father catching him on the stairs. Uh, there's a knock on the door, and it's Sabrina, who has turned up at his door, and asks him if he's seen her cat. He says no but his lisp makes Sabrina suspicious. And then her suspicion turns to fact when the boy's mother shouts his name, Rex. The boy's mother comes to the door to find out what the commotion is about, gets offended by Sabrina's accusations and offering to fetch her husband if she didn't leave. To do what? <laughs> exactly. It's, oh, it's like the age-old, uh, my dad's harder than your dad sort of conundrum. It's like, I'll get my dad on you. Get my dad on you. Get my yeah. husband on you. But it's it's like you're pissing me off. You're a, you're a sixteen year old girl. I'm gonna get my husband to come and sort you out. Yeah. What would have been good, and what would have made that comment relevant if she said, "I'm gonna get my husband," and then Joe O'Connor came, and there was like a little Easter egg gag. Yeah, of like, haven't I seen you somewhere before? Yeah, yeah. Haven't, haven't we met something? That yeah. would have been cool. Or maybe that's what it was implying that I'll get my husband and. May, yeah, maybe that's what it was implying, but it would have been better if we, how if we scarring, saw them. How scarring would it have been if we saw, you know, if, if the husband did show up and beat her up, you know, not not only would it be a terrible thing on a teenage show for uh, the main character, a teenage girl, to get beaten up by a grown man, that would have been awful, but also for fans of Clarissa, seeing um, her dad, seeing Marshall beat up Clarissa <laughs> yeah. would have been just horrifying. Yeah, yeah. so Rex and his mother won't give up the cat that she claims that uh, he hasn't got. Uh, Rex is then upstairs and says to Salem that he's going to run him a bath uh, because he wants him to be nice and clean for Thelma! Thelma! Anyway, we're back home and Sabrina is feeling tremendously guilty about what she's done and asks the room for ideas. I know, Hilda says. Why don't we all hide inside a giant wooden horse? Zelda then chips in. Yeah, because that worked out so well last time. It points a question: Just how old are these women? Yeah, they couldn't have been. They couldn't have been there during the whole Trojan horse deal if they're only six hundred years old. Well, have they have they stated as a categorical fact that they are six hundred yeah. years old, or they've just lived for roughly? No, in, in the no, yeah. Well, that's not even roughly, is it? Like, they've been around for like twelve hundred years, if um, if they remember that. No, uh, no, is it? Have they only said in the past? So, like, uh, they've not. It's been established that they are around six hundred years, around 600 years old. Even if they're closer to seven hundred, that still doesn't put them in the time frame oh, yeah, no, of the Trojan yeah. War. You know. So um, yeah, so apparently it was Hilda's idea that got all those um, Trojans killed. Yeah, 
Maybe she travelled in time to uh, to then. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I wish we had accurate stats and figures, but she's clearly killed a lot more people than we thought. Yeah. Grim. Um, Sabrina says she has a plan. Uh, we then learn that the linen closet can make witches transport to any linen closet in the world, it seems, as she appears in Rex's bedroom dressed as Thana. Did you get me any presents, Rex says. Sabrina reaches into her sack, which, I don't know how you guys, but I presumed this was Santa's actual sack because there seems to be actual gifts, random gifts in there that yeah. people would have. Um, as he, uh, she presents to him a spatula and a Neil Diamond box set. Oh. Uh, didn't you get my fax? Fax. Rex sacks. Fax. Fax. Did you, did you get a fax? <laughs> because I just want to point out right now that a fax is so 90s. To be honest, it isn't the most 90s thing in this episode as we glossed over it because I completely forgot. The actual more 90s thing is what Hilda says to Coolio. Oh, shit, yeah. Glazed off this. I've completely forgotten about this. What she says to him is, oh, yeah. the thing that we believe, well, I thought it was, was uh, that's so 90s, was when Coolio was explaining to Hilda and Hilda that, oh, yeah, we're going to help her. Oh, that tells him everything she knows. Hilda then sort of pumps her chest, lifts it up and says, word to your mother. Yeah. And, this, and you mentioned, about, Graham, about um, the representation of sort of white people around hip-hop Yeah, artists. no, no uh, I think this still persists to today, at least in comedy, that, like, no rapper can appear anywhere, and I mean anywhere, on television or film without a middle-aged white person trying to be hip, saying one of their catchphrases for comic effect. And I think Word to Your Mother uh, comes from Vanilla Ice, but it being him, he probably stole it from somebody else. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, Hilda is, Hilda is very white. Yeah, so sort of saying something that no one has said since it was a thing it ceased to exist yeah I mean I've said it maybe once or twice in Scrabble playing against my family like oh word to you mother and then my mum has a go but that's oh about it oh my god that was horrible oh, <laughs> that was horrendous oh my mate. god that might be the worst thing we've had on this show oh my god <laughs> oh, oh I'm sorry guys We've made terrible dick jokes. We've yeah, that's the worst we've thing. We've talked about Deep Pan Crisp and Even, and that's even <laughs> oh worse. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, maybe let's just let's just forget about that. Jokes, um, jokes about terrible dicks we've made. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Sabrina... We've so, mentioned glory holes, and that's worse. We have. Anyway, going back to the point... <laughs> I'm more offended by your joke than <laughs> the, the glory holes. <laughs> anyway... Going back to that point about uh, yeah Hilda's reputation of mid- a middle-aged white person saying word to your mother, that is this week's That's So 90s. That's so 90s. That's so 90s. Anyway, Sabrina Claus then asks for Salem back, which she refuses to. So Sabrina beckons Salem into the sack, and she leaves through the closet, leaving Rex to scream, Santa stole my cat! Santa stole my cat! And then... Joyous Christmas festive music happens, and we're back safely in the Spellman's house. Uh, and Sabrina and Salem are back home, nice and safe. Hey, um, do you think Salem and Sabrina are thankful to be reunited and lessons have been learned and about how to react with each other? I think they'll carry on being dicks to each other, but still more or less friends. I think the weird thing about this is like it's sort of like. You've never seen them be as hostile to each other as they are in this episode. Like, yeah, you know that Salem sort of, you know, does things like rings up pretending to be Harvey and, like, reads a diary and, you know, he's a bit of a nosy bastard. But at the same time, they most of the time just have sort of playful banter, so it seemed like a bit of a sudden escalation of their uh, sort of issues with each other anyway in this episode. So they'll probably go back to 
just their, their banter relationship from before. I mean, well, that shows as well, because they start singing carols around the piano, and then Salem says, oh, Sabrina, I've got a gift for you upstairs. He goes upstairs, and it turns out it's not a gift as such. It's more a promise that he says, uh, how does he say, he's going to respect Sabrina's privacy and possessions and, you know, uh, just pay her respect for a whole ten days it gets bartered down for. Mm. He offers a week, she says two, he says, okay, ten days. So that's kind of like a... A nice, realistic lesson learned, kind of, that Salem's learned his lesson that he does need to change the way he acts, but he's still still old Salem, and he's it's only going to be temporary, but I, I kind of like that. Yeah. It's like how at the end of um, Geek Like Me, where Libby learned the lesson that um, yeah she needs to stop bullying the geeks so much, yeah. but she's still mean to Sabrina, because it's just... She's still Libby yeah. at the end of the day. Um, yeah, so they all give gifts. Uh, Monty presents a wedding ring to Lulu and naturally slips it onto her ring toe. Yeah. Uh, I don't care if you're poor and have no spine. <laughs> Marry me. <laughs> um, the whole... and uh, Oh, and then Lulu presents to him a solid gold... Cigarette case? Uh, yeah, solid yeah. gold cigarette case. And he's like, oh my God, this is solid gold. I didn't know you were rich. And she goes, my dad is lauded. She says, "Yeah, because, breaking into her accent because she's actually probably from Manchester <laughs> or something." Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> anyway, the whole family drink a glass of eggnog, including Sabrina, and they wish each other Merry Christmas and to all a good Newt. Says Newt. Says Newt. Ugh. Join the credits. <laughs> says you. <laughs> says me. I've got no place to talk about you, mother. Uh, um, anyway, join the credits. Salem is enjoying his Christmas present, a large bundle of wrapping paper. Uh, meanwhile, we're back at Rex's house towards the end, and his parents are trying to pry the spatula from his hands as he just seems to be make, playing with it and making car noises. But but I'd like to point out that this kid got some amazing presents for Christmas, and he's playing with the spatula. Yeah, what did he get? A, a yeah, like a, a little motocross bike. Yeah, a yeah, little apparently. motocross bike. Yeah, uh, a basketball and a hoop. Um, uh, a fucking volcano. A volcano. <laughs> uh, a fire truck or a, a or a, a, a Tonka truck or something. Yeah. And it was just like, no, I'm going to play with a spatula, which he's pretending is some form of aeroplane. And going, and he's like, no, Santa gave me this. It's the oh best my present God. ever. Sabrina has literally scarred that child for life. Yeah. Or maybe little Rex and his family learnt the value of the little things. You know, like, oh yeah, you know, we spent all this money on, you know, this incredible Christmas for our little boy. All he wanted to do was play with a spatula. Maybe, you know, he sort of appreciates, you know, sort of just little little things. You yeah, know? I mean... Small it's... gifts. I'm sorry, I've got an image of him sat in a in a padded room in a straight jacket, still going... Santa's spatula, yeah. I mean, Rex said he sent a fax to Santa. Maybe on that list, Roy's parents knew, said spatula. Maybe, maybe. maybe next year they'll... Um... Just save money by McCullender. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Um, and, yeah, so they're trying to pry this spatula from his hands. Um, the offering these presents, he says no. And he says, oh, I don't know where he got this spatula from. Maybe the same place he got that Neil Diamond CD from. To which then Rex says, oh, Dad, please play Sweet Caroline again. And his parents shout incredibly loudly, no, because it's copyrighted. <laughs> <laughs> that episode... Girl and her cat. How did you find it? Um, when you told me the synopsis um, last time, I was like, oh my god, this sounds terrible. Sabrina's just going to be such a dick. I'm not going to have any time for her in this episode and it's going to ruin it for me. That wasn't really the case in the end. I mean, as, as we said, perhaps again, you know, we are short of a few sort of, you know, really sort of noble, decent things Sabrina does uh, to really sort of establish her as uh, who we should root for. 
But in this episode, you know, like it's a nice exploration of Salem and Salem and Sabrina's relationship, as the title suggests. Um, yeah, the Christmas stuff was sort of woven in in a way where you can watch it not at Christmas and not just feel just sort of like. I don't know, it feels just completely wrong, a bit like whacking on like Slade um, in, in July or something. Um, like the characters of Monty and Lulu, I mean Lulu was kind of funny, but like, I don't know, they just didn't really have much to them. Like guest characters, particularly other witch characters, have been very memorable and very sort of larger than life and yeah, I thought it was a bit of a sort of a, a come down. Uh, compared with the ones we've seen before, but yeah, on, on the whole, it was it had some very funny moments. Yeah, I mean, uh, in particular, uh, Monty stuff. I would have liked to see more of him because I mean, we didn't mention before like Dana Gould who plays Monty. Um, he, with his CV, he's got to be a funny guy. Mm, do you know what year he was a producer on The Simpsons, folks? But do you know what years he was a producer on The Simpsons? What? 2000 to 2016. Oh, I.e. When it was shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, okay, I'll take that back then. Yeah, Chris, how, how he feels about a girl and a cat? I didn't really care for it because I did it. Other than exploring Salem's dark side even more, even though we already know that he's a, a twisted, sadistic, sarcastic little shit, um, and Sabrina as well being quite narky, but within reason, uh, we didn't really do it. The episode didn't further along any any storyline. Not even. The family storyline, even though Cousin Monty came over to see... We didn't get anything. I didn't get anything from this episode. And with it being a Christmas episode, obviously I wasn't going to enjoy it anyway. Um, But it's just... I didn't... There was was no substance behind it. There was no sort of storyline that would run through. We've got another family member. Salem got kidnapped. There's another annoying little kid. It's like all the... there seems to be a formula that they're now in a routine with and it's getting stale for me. Yeah. Okay, well, Chris, as always, you are our rank master. You're the one who sets the bar for this episode. You give the rating overall. And me and Graham, we're going to see if we disagree or not. So, um, episode 11, A Girl and a Cat, what would you give it? I'm not going to put this in the danger zone and to clarify the danger zone is one, two and three. So on that stance, I'm going to give it four eggs out of Nog. Okay, four eggs. Um, I'd say 6.5 eggs. The 0.5 is for Coolio cameo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and no, and I, I think I was giving, I've given the past couple of episodes six, I think, or five or six. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to give it six. I think, I think four is a bit of too of a low critique for an episode which I ultimately enjoyed. I think it was nothing, nothing pissed me off in it. Nothing. Um... Many things pissed me off in it. <laughs> okay, well you're just a harsh critic, aren't you? <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I'm going to give this six. Um, yeah, so six eggs out of nog for me. So on average, yeah, roughly six. 5.75, I'll take. Okay, so yeah, we're not going to go into decimal points here. Uh, but yeah, about five or six out of, it, out of uh, eggs out of nog. So a good episode to watch. Um, hopefully, um, the next Christmas episode we have might be sort of bigger and more meaningful. But I think as, as its first stab at a festive episode, I think it did all right, I think. Yeah. Nothing to really um, write home about or complain about. Um, anyway, boys, would you like to know what episode 12 is about? As always, do tell. Well, next week it will be moving on to episode 12, entitled Trial by Fury. Um, in this one, Hilda and Zelda help Sabrina teach her mean old algebra teacher a lesson by putting him in front of a witch's courtroom. Hang on a tick. Yes. Oh, we meet a new teacher. We meet a new teacher, Christopher. Is it not just... <laughs> 
Mr. Poole just doing another class. It's not. This is a completely different teacher in a subject she seemingly struggles at that we've never seen before. Um, so thank you very much for joining us for this one. I hope to uh, hope that you uh, listen to episode 12, which will be next week. Uh, as always, I've been Phil Dean. Thank you very much for listening uh, to my right, as always. Throughout, it's been Chris Evans. Yeah. Bye, everyone. And uh, to my left, as always, has been Gray Riley. Word to your mother. However you choose to listen to this show, whether it be via Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, or iTunes, if you could be so kind, please leave us a comment and a review. Your support and inspiration will give the show meaning. Otherwise, we're just broadcasting to no one. And that's just sad. Also, why not subscribe? Then as soon as every episode hits the air, you'll get it downloaded straight away. How easy and, dare I say, magical is that? If you head to our Twitter page, at SabrinaWatch, you'll find links to each of our episodes, as well as quotes, pics and skits of our favourite moments as the series progresses. Whichever realm you're from, thank you once again for listening, and I hope you tune back in next week. <laughs>